0: Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk. It's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome to another edition of the Blue Gold Report. Brought to you by Theo McComb and Sons Funeral Homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm Todd Burlage. I'll be your host today. I'm a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, the Associated Press. Do some work for UND.com, and I'm going to be joined by my trusty co-host, Mason Plummer. Um, He'll be filling in with Rags, for Rags, here for a little bit. Uh, Rags, actually, his real job is pulling him aside. So Mason and I are going to hold down the fort here for an indefinite time period. Mason's fully equipped to handle this. He's a writer for slapthesign.com. We'll get into more of that, more of his work as we move forward here. You can find him at Mason Plummer, numeral six. That is his Twitter handle. I'm at Todd Burlage, B-U-R-L-A-G-E. Mason, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Excited to talk some Notre Dame football. How you doing, Todd? Not too bad. Not too bad. Hanging in there. Yeah, a lot to cover here, obviously. We'll recap the Stanford game. Another great win, uh, which actually capped a 10-win season for the third time in a row. Made a little history there, or tied a little history, I should say. Mason, I'm going to ask you about it when we get into this a little bit more. For a 10-2 season, man, it just seems a little mundane out there, and, and there's, uh, we, we're going to bounce back and forth a few reasons why, and maybe maybe you don't even agree with that. Uh, we're going to look ahead. It looks like all roads lead to Orlando, Florida for the Camping World Bowl. Uh, certainly, again, a 10 win nerd aim team you wouldn't have thought would not have any chance at an elite uh, New Year's Six Bowl day. But that appears to be the case. Mason is our recruiting guru. he's going to talk he's going to get, get us up to speed on the recruiting front and then obviously we'll hit that hard next week with early signing date coming up here and then bK Brian Kelly actually had a very historic year as a coach here at Notre Dame and he's he's hit some milestones, some impressive ones, so we'll go down that list as well. but as we start each and every blue gold report, here's a three pack of blue gold nuggets. Start with Clark Lee on any time your, your sort of program is humming along here. Three 10-win seasons in a row. People are going to want to kind of poach your coaching staff. It appears Ole Miss has expressed some interest in Clark Lee, uh, Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. Certainly with good reason. Lee's done a lot of great work here on the heels of Mike Elko's one season. And really is an up-and-coming young coach. No doubt about that. Uh, Clark Lee... This is his third season at Notre Dame here. We'll have to wait and see how it shakes out. Obviously, nobody's coming clean on whether or not there's this is serious consideration, uh, but the internet reports have Old Miss very much interested in Lee's services. A little bit off the beaten path here, a website called bestcollegereviews.org. They kind of list everything, just sort of off-the-wall type of stuff, and they rate campuses on everything, and as it turns out, they Notre Dame came in as the number five most beautiful campus in the country. Can certainly go along with that. Uh, the University of Virginia, they had one. Bryn Mawr, I can honestly say I've never been to Bryn Mawr. It's in Pennsylvania, uh, was number two. I guess I was a little bit surprised to see University of Chicago, number three, and Princeton, number four. Uh, let's see, Stanford, which is a beautiful place I've been to, number 14. I couldn't believe that UCLA, perhaps the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life, uh, was not even in the top ten. So uh, I don't know. I find this list a little bit flawed, but uh, who am I? And I just hung up the phone with this young man. This is a lacrosse note here. I wanted to share it because it's a great story. young man by the name of Tommy McNamara. He is a lacrosse senior Camp counselor, just all-around good guy. A couple of weeks ago, he was sitting in a South Bend restaurant, and he noticed some sort of sketchy guy kind of coming in and out of the restaurant. kept kind of kept his eye on him. Uh, it was a young man who ended up coming back and stealing a lady's purse, and bolted out the door. McNamara ended up running him down. Took about five to seven minutes. Good thing, good thing he's a college athlete. I would have lasted all of five or seven seconds. Uh, ran him down. And instead of, you know, trying to hold him down, get him arrested, it was a 15-year-old young man. He actually talked to him, and uh, and, and the guy opened up to him, and he sort of put his counselor hat on. So all's well that ends well. He got the purse back. He actually slipped the kid 20 bucks. He also slipped him his phone number and said, if you ever need anything... Please reach out. Give me a call. I'm here to chat. I'm here to help. So I thought that was a feel-good story that I wanted to share with everybody. And those are your blue-gold nuggets. Mason, let's move on to this Stanford game. Another impressive win. Didn't start out looking too hot. 17-7. to And then Isaiah Foskey blocks a punt. Notre Dame takes it over at the one-yard line. Scores immediately. Now it's 17-14. to And then just one series and a couple plays later, it's now 21-17 Notre Dame. In the matter of 1 minute and 41 seconds, Notre Dame went from down 17-7 to seven to up 21-17, 21-17, uh, and then was lights out 45-24. What stuck out in this game to you, Mason?
1: What really stuck out was Notre Dame's ability to turn the game on its head, and seemingly in, in an instant. Uh, I was watching the game, and I really thought it was going to be another one of those Palo Alto kind of games where Nerding struggles through it, and Stanford kind of dominates, and... Uh, this isn't the kind of Stanford team that should be dominating right. the Notre Dame team like like we saw this season. Uh, it's not the Stanford of old uh, that we've normally seen with David Shaw and even with Jim Harbaugh. So, uh, yeah, I thought, I don't know if there was a curse of Palo Alto, but Notre Dame seemed to overcome it with uh, a little bit of fortune, a good block, and then uh, just turned the game on its head quickly and didn't look back.
0: Yeah, I think you put it well, turned the game on its head, because that Fosky punt sort of sparked what ended up being a 31 to nothing run for Notre Dame as they just took control of this thing. Cardinal quarterback David Mills he was hot early man he was picking out targets all over the field he started 12 of 17 for 144 144 yards with two touchdowns from that point on, I believe it was about the last 30 minutes of the game he went only 16 of 29 for 132 yards that's only 4.6 yards per attempt so certainly things got away from the Cardinal in a big big hurry. Mason this was only the first time or this was the first time since 1997 that two years in a row Notre Dame has won the finale, the season finale in California. You know how they rotate USC and Stanford back and forth. It's the first time since 97 that Notre Dame has won those in back-to-back seasons. I found that pretty interesting right there. This is one of your guys that you've had a lot of, you've talked a lot about when you've been on the show. You like this Braden Lindsey, and he really showed us why. Uh, six touches, 96 yards uh, 48 on receptions, two catches there, and 48 on rushing yards, uh, four there. Certainly, did Lindsey stick out to you? I know he's one of your favorites.
1: Yeah, he really is. And uh, he's a guy, he was one of the first guys that really followed through recruiting and through, through his uh, his original commitment to Oregon, his decommitment, and then pound probably got him, and I was pretty pretty happy about that. And uh, he's just a guy, you've got to get the ball in his hands. You've got to get him touches, and whether that's uh, – whether it's faking it to him on a jet sweep or actually giving him the ball, he's just so dangerous, and he's a, hes another guy that that uh, the uh, opposition has to game plan for, and he just adds another wrinkle to the offense. He has game breaking track star right. speed, and uh, anytime he's fat, he's the fastest guy on the field. You got to get him the ball. So uh, even with a pretty quick Stanford defense, that I seem to notice—you know—they were—they were hustling around and move pretty quickly, but uh, he's. Most of the time, he's the fastest guy on the field, so you you got to get him the ball when you can.
0: Yeah, Chris Fink was a little dinged up, so he did return a couple punts. I, don't, I think he was al- almost out there just a fair catch punts for the most part. He didn't even play a down at receiver, so that gave Lindsey some extended playing time. He made good on it, and you mentioned the speed. This cat runs about a, he routinely runs 4 3 so he is certainly one of those weapons. You have to find a way to get him his touches. But defensively, Jeremiah Koromoa, he is emerging as maybe the best athlete on this defense, with all due respect to Kyle Hamilton. Uh, he had nine total tackles, six of those solos, a pass breakup. Seemed to be everywhere, I thought. Uh, any impressions on how he played?
1: Yeah, it's just been a, it's been a great season for, I call him JOK, Jeremiah Uso-Kormoa. Um Yeah, it's been since the beginning of the season, you know, uh, there was, preseason talk about, you know, Notre going to struggle with the linebacker position, right. but he has not let them struggle at the linebacker position whatsoever. He's been everything that Clark Lee could ask for and more. And really, I'm just excited to see him play next season and possibly the season after. Uh, he's, he's an unreal athlete. He's twitchy, he's quick. A sure tackler, and just everything you really want to see from a linebacker, and he showed it at Stanford.
0: Yeah, we were certainly worried about that rover position coming in, and, and it's been a seamless transition, and, and that's been terrific. He is a fun player to watch. Uh, just kind of as a sidelight, Chase Claypool had three more catches, gave him 143 cur- for his career, which moved him to eighth place all time on the Notre Dame record books. He moved past Tyler Eifert, actually, so I thought that was a little bit interesting. So the win over Stanford... Caps another 10-win season, but it also, Brian Kelly hit some pretty cool milestones this year, and I wanted to share these with the folks here. Mentioned the California one, first time since 97 that Notre Dame won back-to-back games in season finales in uh, on the West Coast there. Uh, the last time it actually happened where they won back-to-back games in season, any season finales was 2000 USC and 2001 Purdue. Um, also, a 5-0 and November for Brian Kelly, that's the first time going all the way back to 1930 that a Notre Dame coach has gone 5-0 and in November. Newt Rockney. <laughs> that was a national championship year, 1930. So that's some big-time history for Brian Kelly there. It's obviously 10 wins in three-plus years. Uh, 1991, that Lou Holtz obviously is the guy that um, Brian Kelly tied here. 91 under Holtz, 10-3. and three. 92, 10, 1, and 1, and then 93, 11 and 1. That's the last time that happened. Also for Brian Kelly, he is now undefeated at home in two straight years. And Notre Dame will carry an 18-game home winning streak into next season. And along with that, you know, I mentioned Brian Kelly, the three 10-win seasons in a row. If Brian Kelly wins his bowl game and finishes eleven and two this year, he will tie Lou Holtz again for most wins over a three-year span with 33. Brian Kelly went 10-3 in 17, 12-1 in 18, and presuming a bowl win, he would go 11-2 here in 19. So he'd be 33-6 and over those three seasons. Holtz did it also, 12-0 and in 88, 12-1 in 89, and 9-3 in 90. So Holtz actually went 33-4. and Holtz needed two fewer games to get to that 33 mark. During that holtz run that that's where that twenty three the program record twenty three game winning streak comes into play there, so some pretty elite company there for Brian Kelly did you worry, I, I guess I didn't when I was kind of doing research for the show Mason, I was surprised at some of these milestones he had hit. I knew a couple of them were coming up, but man he's putting this team on a pretty good run right now
1: yeah, absolutely, and that was something I got into uh, research in this past week you know I didn't have to write any articles leading up to the game so just uh, researching some statistics and stuff like that. And uh, shameless shout-out. I uh, i put up an article this morning on Slap the Sign about 10-win seasons and whether the, whether or not that's the norm and whether that can be expected for Notre Dame football as they continue. And uh, you can check that out on slapdesign.com or at uh, you can find it on Twitter at Mason Plumber 6 yeah, But, yeah, so it, it's all discussed there, and I have some cool statistics in that as well. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and check that out.
0: Expand on that because actually you very much led me in unintentionally because I want to talk about at ten and two it, it you know it seems like it should be a season worth a lot of celebration but obviously it's been a little bit mundane not only among the fan base and I'm not speaking for all the fans but I think just kind of in general I don't feel a huge positive vibe here but even among the pollsters as Notre Dame was beating the crap out of these teams. In November, I mean, what was it? They they just pounded Duke, and I don't have it right in front of me, but you guys know the drill here. What they did to these teams in uh, in November, they moved during that whole five game winning streak. They went from number sixteen in or number eighteen in the poll to number sixteen. That's the AP poll. There was hardly ever a mention of them in the college football poll. It was just kind of weird to me, Mason, that a team putting together a ten win season which only had the two losses were at Georgia and at Michigan, a couple really tough places to play, didn't seem to get a whole heck of a lot of love.
1: Right, yeah. Uh, two very tough places to play. And you got to imagine that just the manner of the loss at Michigan sure. is really sticking with the committee, which is fair. But um, it the thing that irks me is seeing, uh, seeing teams with three losses ahead of Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame didn't... Didn't lose to a South Carolina like Georgia did. They right. lost to two very good teams. Two teams I think should or may be ranked in the top 10 by the, by the time it's said and done. So, uh, you know, it's, it goes back to Notre Dame not being able to win the big game. Yeah. And that's something I highlight in my article as well that, um, you know, there's essentially two schools of thought that are you happy with 10 wins against, you know, there, there's some decent wins in there, but a lot of beating the crap out of teams like, uh, like Navy, Boston College. And then, uh, or, so are you happy with that, or would you rather have like a 9-3, four season, but get a win against the Michigan or Georgia? So, you know, um, it just depends on your line of thinking, but uh, ideally, Nerding would be able to put it all together and get some big wins, but, you know, it is what it is.
0: Well, my line of thinking, and I took a lot of heat for a story that I wrote for the Blue and Gold Illustrated website, I was a little bit surprised... Because my thing is, if a 10-win Notre Dame team can't even be considered for a New Year's 6 bowl game, which certainly it does not look like that's going to, they're not going to that, certainly stranger things have happened, but at this point it looks like it's all about the Camping World Bowl in Orlando. If Notre Dame, at 10 wins, with the the popularity of the program and everything else, is not even in the discussion for a New Year's 6 bowl, Certainly a one-loss Notre Dame team, if they had 11 wins, would not be in playoff discussion. Where do you go to fix it? And I'm kind of looking at the schedule. They're locked into this five-game ACC deal where they have to, they're required to play five ACC opponents every season. The ACC is down this year outside of Clemson, obviously. So there's not any power there. You're locked in with the Navy and the Stanford. So there just isn't a lot. There's no marquee win. Certainly, they beat everybody they should. Actually, the schedule, the season sort of played out as a lot of people thought it would. 10-2, and two, loss at Georgia, loss at Michigan. So no big surprises there. But my proposal that I really took a lot of heat on is why do Stanford and why does Navy, why do those two schools have to be annual opponents? Why don't you make those occasional opponents that will free you up a couple Saturdays there to maybe bring in a bit of a marquee Pac-12 team or something like that. I think Jax Warbrick needs a little bit more flexibility in this changing age with the playoffs and everything else. I think he needs that flexibility to sort of, I don't want to say stay relevant because certainly Notre Dame is, is relevant, but at the same time, Mason, it seems like they need to find some way to give the schedule a little more oomph. Yeah,
1: I agree with you totally. And I think it's, it also goes back to the ACC contract with that, with those five games that the ACC stood very firm in the fact that one of the true ACC teams is going to get the bid, you know their their bid for whether it's like a Citrus Bowl or something like that above sure. Notre Dame, which makes sense. But um, that's that's part of the downside of that deal. You know Notre Dame has its pros and it also has its cons. So whether that's something that Notre Dame needs to change or look to change, I don't know whether uh, Jack Horvitz wants to take a look at that. But uh, the ACC has its highs and lows just a couple years ago, just before this contract was introduced. uh, Florida State was at the top of the college football. Uh, Clemson was very, very good.
0: Miami. And North
1: Carolina weren't slouches. Miami was back for a year or two, and now they're <laughs> down again.
0: Right. Um,
1: so it, it just depends. College football is weird, and it's hard to predict the future.
0: Yeah, it is, and it's cyclical. So you look at a schedule one year, and you think, oh, my, how are they going to navigate this? And then by the time it gets here, it, it ends up kind of a cupcake. So speaking of which, as I look forward, now, Notre Dame has won five games in a row here since the Michigan loss, and... So if they can win the bowl game, then they open next season with Navy, a two-win Arkansas team, Western Michigan, Wake Forest, Wisconsin at Lambeau Field, which could be a little bit ornery, Stanford, Pitt, and Duke. And that's before the Clemson game. So you're six wins after the bowl, 7, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, There's no reason to think that Notre Dame can't have won 14 games in a row heading into that Clemson game and there is the really the talking point right there, and I know we're looking way ahead here, but those are the games that Notre Dame has to start winning. You know, if they go in there undefeated, home against Clemson, and then get shellacked again, then what's any of it mean? So, uh, you know, I think it's a good debate on whether ten wins is a great thing. Certainly, like you mentioned earlier in the show, that seems to be the low bar now for Notre Dame, which that certainly wasn't the case a few years ago. Mason, we better move on to the Camping World Bowl here stuff because certainly it looks like that's where they are gone. Uh, it depends where you look. A lot of prospective opponents. A five-loss Texas team seems to be number 1 on most people's lists. Let me run them down here. The Orlando Sentinel says Kansas State. Uh, it's, it's obviously it's the third-place team in the Big 12, but with some ties and whatnot, there's a little bit of flexibility here, uh, especially since they still have a championship game that could shake things up a little bit. Uh, but the Orlando Sentinel says Kansas State. Uh, which is eight and four? ESPN says Texas again seven and five. Sports Illustrated Texas, CBS Sports Texas, USA Today Texas, College Football uh, Weekly has uh, Oklahoma State at eight and four. Twenty four seven Sports slips in Iowa State there at seven and five, and Sporting News has Kansas State as well. That game would be, I'm just going ahead and giving the TV and the whole works here, Mason, because that's I'm 90, 99% sure that's where they're going. It's Sunday, December 28th. It's a 5.15 p.m. start Eastern time. Uh, last year, Syracuse beat West Virginia in this game. It's an ESPN game. Uh, 1990 is when this bowl, bowl was founded. It's been called the Champ Sports Bowl, the Tangerine Bowl. It's been called all kinds of stuff. Uh, but it's the same thing, Mason. Are you excited about a camp, a trip to Orlando to go camping?
1: Oh, if I was going to Orlando, I'd be very <laughs> excited about it. But because um, it's freezing in Indiana, but um, you know, it is what it is. It's it's not the best bowl, and the name of it surely doesn't help. But um, it's the it's the best Notre Dame can do, and uh, if they go in there and just shellack whoever whoever they get scheduled with, I'll be happy.
0: Do you like camping?
1: It's okay. Um, I'm a fan fan of camping, but uh, not exactly a fan of the Camping World Bowl.
0: (laughs) All right, Mason, I want to move on. I'm going to throw this into your wheelhouse here. Obviously, a busy time down the stretch here, not only to hold the class together for the early signing day, I believe it's on December 18th here, coming right up, but... I know the Notre Dame coaches are out and about right now, recruiting, doing their thing. What what can you tell us? What's going on? In I did see where the twenty one uh, the twenty twenty one class still is ranked number one in the country.
1: Yeah, they are, and uh, Notre Dame is handing out recruit or handing out uh, scholarships to a lot of guys they th- that they think um, are going to be commitments soon. Um, nobody worth mentioning quite yet, just because you don't want to throw out a bunch of names, and who knows what's going to happen. Notre Dame offers a lot of guys, a lot of guys don't come. But uh yeah, Brian Kelly, Mike Elston, all of the above, they've been doing uh in in home uh in home visits with athletes and uh most recent one was with the wide receiver commit Xavier Watts, who uh at the at home visit at his home, he uh he stated that he's gonna be signing with Notre Dame December eighteenth, which is awesome uh and it's important to get guys in early and you can't get everybody to come in early but it's especially important for the skilled positions to come in early um some other news yesterday offensive tackle the highest offensive rated uh our offensive tackle rated by a uh, 24-7 sports tommy brockermeyer he uh, narrowed down to his top five he's uh he's from texas and uh, of course he included the university of texas in that and notre dame did not make the cut he was initially very high on notre dame but uh you know, it's hard to pull guys from the South. It seems like he's right. going to, te- to Texas or to the SEC. Um, the last, seemingly probably the last guy to keep an eye on in the 2020 class is going to be Ramon Henderson. He is an athlete and doesn't really have a set position. He plays both sides of the ball for his high school, uh, rated a, as the number 11 athlete in the 24, seven sports composite rankings. Uh, nerding seems to be in the lead, but other schools such as uh, UCLA, Utah, who's up to number five in the CFP rankings. And, uh, Tennessee are also in the mix, but uh, don't be surprised if Notre Dame lands him. And then, lastly, Jalen McMillan—he's uh, a guy that Notre Dame has been targeting for a long time. It came down the seemingly between uh, Notre Dame and Washington for his commitment, the stud wide receiver from Washington. Um, a lot of a lot of news and notes were flying around on the Notre Dame message boards about McMillan after Washington head coach Chris Peterson stepped down. Right, um, but the wide receiver. He he made it he made it confirmed that he was staying at Washington and uh, he's was rated as the number thirty eight overall player in the country, number eight wide receiver, number six prospect in the class of twenty twenty. We would love to add him next to Jordan Johnson and uh Xavier Watts in the twenty twenty nerd in class, but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen.
0: Mason, uh, we're gonna be up against it here, but I love the segment that you added. Uh you, you sent out on your Twitter account Mason uh, Mason Plummer 6, right? Yes, sir. Uh, just anybody have any questions? We probably have time to try to fly through a couple of them, Mason. So what what'd you get back?
1: All right, I'll narrow it down to three. So uh, this related, just what we were talking about a minute ago, this comes from at Las Vegas Irish 09. What's your preference on the type of opponent for the bowl game? seen a lot of people want Notre Dame-Texas because of the prestige of both programs, but I'd rather play the best team possible. That's what that's what his statement was. Todd, what's your thoughts on that?
0: I think I like the Texas matchup uh, as well. I just like the name recognition. I think Kansas State is the best team of that bunch. It's a team that beat Oklahoma this year. But I think I still like the name recognition. It just seems like Notre Dame-Texas carries a little more oomph than what Kansas State would.
1: Yeah, I think I get a lot of viewership that way. you can build some hype. Uh, almost surely be on ESPN, but uh, yeah, Kansas State doesn't really carry that hype. I do think they are the best team. I think even Oklahoma State might be better than Texas too, but anyways, um, at Irish Daily, this question comes from Irish Daily 10, what's your take on the linebacker recruiting situation and your feeling about not taking at least one per cycle? Do you think that could hurt Notre Dame in the long run with inevitable injuries and transfers?
0: Mason, you handle that one.
1: Um, Let's see. I think not taking at least one each cycle does hurt because you're you're relying on taking at least two or three then every other cycle and uh, yeah with inevitable injuries and transfers you've already you've already seen that start to add up and you're really relying on getting those recruits and you know uh, kids at 18 and 17 they're they're weird and they make weird decisions so uh, it's, it's hard to it's hard to rely on that but um, you know if you're bringing in studs and you're bringing in guys that end up transitioning to great players like Alusu Colombra, then uh, I think you're doing okay.
0: Mason, you never made any <clears throat> wow. you made you never made any weird decisions as a teenager, did you?
1: No, no, surely not. <laughs> last one comes from at Cubster Eleven. Not a fan of Cub, but uh okay. <laughs> In almost every single recruiting class, Brian Kelly's had, he has stolen a last minute recruit committed somewhere somewhere else. Any prospects for twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one that could possibly flip other than Jalen McMillan. Can you take this one?
0: Yeah, please.
1: So, as I, I just talked about Jalen McMillan. That'd be an awesome flip, but I don't think it's happening. Um, there's been no news on any other flips. Um, a guy I would have put on this list a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, I should say, before Notre was stomped by Michigan, was A.J. Henning, but that isn't looking likely either. Um, man, 2021 is hard to tell, but for 2020, it's not looking like there's going to be any flips. That would be cool to see. There, uh, there has been some, some wide receivers from Oklahoma. There's one from Alabama and some corners from Florida State and, uh, Oklahoma that have, uh, have decommitted or decided they're going to transfer or, uh, put their name in the transfer portal. So whether you consider that flipping is, uh, is up to you, but, um, yeah, I don't know if anything's likely at the moment, but I'll definitely keep you updated.
0: Yeah, for sure, Mason. Those can be awfully hard to predict, too. Sometimes those come out of nowhere, and I even think the coaches are surprised sometimes. We're up against it here. I'm going to fly through some hoops news here. Not much of it good for either the men or the women. The men dropped to 6-2 and two after a 72-51 drubbing at number 3 Maryland. Notre Dame just can't shoot. They have to figure out a way to shoot. They're going to wear green tomorrow, 2 p.m. at home for the B.C. game. The Eagles come in 4-5. and five. Uh, They've lost four in a row, five of six, certainly a game Notre Dame needs to get. You hate to call game two of the ACC season a, a must-win, but Boston College at home, you better get this one. Uh, Notre Dame has actually beaten Boston College 17 of the last 18 times over 20 years, including 13 straight. As bad of a season as Notre Dame had last year with three ACC wins, two of them came against Boston College, so certainly the Notre Dame men will be favored. Obviously, we our hearts go out to Robbie Carmen D. Who uh, the the sophomore guard who blew up his knee in that it, very very late within the last minute of that of uh, uh, that Maryland game? So he's done for the season. He was out for most of the season, I believe it was the last twenty four games last season with a shoulder injury. Uh, the women they're now five and five. They've lost three of four. Got beat at Minnesota 75-67 on Wednesday. Guess what, Mason? They get UConn at UConn Sunday four p.m. Let's just say yikes on that hockey struggling a little bit. After a quick start, uh, I believe they were seven zero and one at one point. Best start in program history. They've now gone one four and one in their last six games. Um, they have a home and home against Boston College this weekend. Uh, they're eight four and two now overall. Uh, they just were swept by Boston College, and guess what, Mason? That went that flew by. Uh, we are out of time, folks. Thank you for joining us on the Blue Gold Report. Once again, brought to you by Dio McComan Sons. I am Todd Burledge. He is Mason Plummer. Mason, thanks a man. I appreciate it. Talk to you next week.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media.